Welcome back to Forgotten Not Forsaken, a podcast of Christian Witness to Israel North America. My name is Greg Kite, the media director at Christian Witness to Israel, and I'm here with Stephen Atkinson, who is the director of ministry. Stephen, how are you doing? Good to be with you again, Greg. Nice to be in your home and enjoying all that rich hospitality that I always enjoy when I visit you, especially also seeing the grandkids. Sure, sure. Um, for those of you who do not know, Stephen is also my father-in-law, <laughs> so that's probably a helpful distinction to make uh, whenever you are listening to this. Mm-hmm. But what, what do you have for us this, this evening, uh, Stephen? What would, what would you like to discuss uh, regarding our Jewish ministry? Well, we've entitled this Forgotten Not Forsaken, and so uh, the desire really is to, to bring such things back onto the radar of everyone who listens in, and indeed uh, part of our ministry within Christian Witness to Israel North America is to bring it back on the radar to every church uh, in the USA. And so uh, as I think about the forgottenness of Jewish mission, I try to piece together, well, why has this happened? Where where did the forgetfulness come from? And we, we could take a whole host of uh, historical uh, tracts uh, to, to look at where this has gone wrong. And indeed, I've done some of those things on our Awakening the Conscience course. So I'm not going to rehearse all of uh, the history, but in a nutshell, basically, the uh, the Roman Catholic Church, the more Roman and the more Greek it became, the less uh, it, it uh, saw its Hebrew roots and, and moved away uh, from Jewish people, never mind Jewish evangelism. Hmm. And so it really was Reformation um, and the Reformed doctrine that brought these things back onto the radar. Now, in another episode, we're possibly thinking of uh, of bringing forth uh, a few of our worthies in Reformational history uh, and highlighting some of them and some of the theology and some of the quotations, perhaps, from these. But what I wanted to, to really draw attention to this time um, is just to look at how, um, from the Reformation, there was very much a systematizing of doctrine uh, and it was that which really was the impetus for much of the work of the church and the mission of the church. And I feel that perhaps, um, you know, as I contemplate my Presbyterian buddies and uh, I have you here contemplating your Baptist buddies, <laughs> um, I think there's been um, a forgetfulness, uh, particularly pertaining to uh, confessional Christianity or catechetical Christianity. And, and those those mm-hmm. are... Um, theological terms. Basically, it, it, it's meaning the confessions or the catechisms or the the systematizing of doctrine. And the first thing I wanted to really just to bring up and maybe just bounce off you as well is just the idea of the worth of um, catechisms, the worth of confessions, because it seems to me we live in an age um, where there is really just a, a, a a downgrading and a you know Twitter feed of uh, so many characters and a minimalizing of truth, um, and I think really with regard to Jewish mission, we need to get back to considering the the worth of confessions and catechisms. And so later, even in this episode, I want us to uh, focus in on something of the content of um, particularly in, in my Presbyterian world. Uh, of a couple of items uh, that I feel perhaps have been a little bit neglected. Sure. But first of all, I, I wanted just to, to raise with you, do, do you feel that the church has lost something of the worth of catechisms uh, and even more specifically confessions? Sure. I think it's pretty obvious if you go into most 
you know, modern Baptist churches and you say the word catechism, you get funny looks. <laughs> People don't really understand uh, the idea of, of their worth and where they came from and the fact that even Baptists wrote catechisms in their earliest days uh, and not even Baptists. And some of the best ones are Baptist in my, in, in my Baptist opinion. Maybe yeah. I'm a little biased. You see, I, I just think <laughs> that you, you guys just took our Westminster Confession and threw water at it. You see, that's, that's my impression. But I, I, you, we, have good, we have good banter on this one. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. But no, I do think that it is really important for us to systematize our doctrine. Uh, you know, we're taught to teach uh, to teach the whole counsel of God, and this idea should mean that we actually have to go through and and pull these doctrines and make sure that we're not we're not contradicting ourselves. Uh, whenever we look at this scripture over here, and in, in terms of how it speaks into this scripture over here, we talk we call it the analogy of faith, uh, and understanding how. Every scripture's context is all of scripture, uh, and so all of those hermeneutical principles are really important for us whenever we're doing the systematization. And uh, you know, the 1689 Confession, which I personally subscribe to, I think does a really good job, and the Westminster Confession as well. Both do incredible jobs of of taking these uh, these doctrinal ideas and saying, here's every bit of scripture that we can think about that addresses this, and how we pull them all together so that they're coming together in a way that does not seem to contradict, but actually. Not only that, it actually displays the glory of God in a more majestic way. But, but what if someone simply says, but, you know, I've got, it's me and Jesus, it's, it's me and my Bible, and I've got, um, you know, the Reformation restored the priesthood of all believers. So uh, doesn't that mean that I don't need to go to a priest or to someone to give me all the doctrine? Can't I just find it all myself with just my Bible? So why do I need these confessions and catechisms? Well, you know, I recently have seen people uh, say something to the effect of, you know, if you're if you're eschewing all tradition, what you're basically doing is setting yourself up as your own pope, uh, and your your interpretation is the one infallible interpretation to yourself. But is that really the case? Do we really have that sort of um, that sort of knowledge, and do we think so highly of ourselves that we can't stand upon the people who came before us and uh, worked together in an ecclesial manner, the entire church coming together to develop these doctrines uh, and agreeing upon them, and then build off of that rather than saying, you know, just going it alone and going solo. I think that that's it's dangerous in a lot of ways, uh, and so and I, I do think that that's been a very common thing, especially among Baptists. To our shame, uh, we tend to trek that biblicist route. Uh, more often than we need to, uh, when so many good things have been set out before us in the confessions of the past, uh, and not just the 1689, but going forward into the New Hampshire Confession, and uh, even the Baptist Faith and Message, people don't recognize the fact that that's really a a, um, a spinoff of a Reformed Baptist sort of document, and uh, so these are these are all things that I would personally like to see a renewal of in Baptist life. But we can that would be a whole rabbit trail, so sure. <laughs> we'll go there. Yeah, but we'll, we'll we'll look even at some of the content of those things perhaps again and at another time. Uh, but maybe to lighten things a little bit, all of this kind of reminds me of. Um, my grandmother, and, and here I give just, just a little illustration. My grandmother loved to make cakes. Um, and, you know, if, when I would visit my grandmother, she would always have the little, uh, as, as we termed them, the little buns. Uh, I know in America, buns have a, a we would then call uh, BAPs, actually. That's, uh, that's <laughs> the, so it, we're trying to be bilingual here. But the, the little uh, cake uh, buns, the small buns, um, my grandmother used to make them. They were delicious, but she never used any recipe. 
you know, she just um, she was one who just would wing it with uh, regard to the ingredients. She cooked with love. She cooked with a lot of love, and she <laughs> now my mother had her specifics. Her 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 daughter then, so my mother had her specifics of the recipes. It was weighed out. It was done, and of course, uh, we and and indeed Libby, your your wife, my daughter, will reflect uh, deeply on on the pink icing cake that uh, my mother used to always bring around. So my mother used to love making cakes as well, um, but she did it with with a with a system. Let's just say, mm-hmm. uh, and there is a difference between the. Uh, well-baked cake as opposed to the cake that is just kind of thrown together it, it, it might be still nonetheless quite tasty as my grandmother's was but nonetheless there is the importance of the ingredients of the cake and the finished article okay that that's true with baking that's true with any structure with building oh i could i could use the illustration in so many ways but i'm simply wanting to use it particularly pertaining to our mission and particularly our mission to the Jewish people. Where does it come from? Does it come to, because I just uh, go all across the USA and stir people to, to go ooh and ah about uh, Israel? No, we, we need to have the content uh, behind what we're doing. And, and this is where I feel we have forgotten something of the content of the confessions, particularly the mm-hmm. Westminster Confession, the Westminster Standards, and the, and the larger catechism. So, to some degree, we've, we've uh, developed the worth of uh, the catechism and the confession. Uh, I want to, secondly, maybe to move on to think about the content. And uh, permit me, Greg, to take a, a, a little longer time on this. Oh, and just do. <laughs> and just give us the, the content from the larger catechism. I often say when I visit churches, uh, don't think nine one one, think one nine one. You know, so I I, I get it's a, it's a way to remember. Go and search your larger catechism, not nine one one, but one nine one. And here is what again the Westminster divines of the sixteen forties were uh, desiring, pertaining to prayer, and specifically prayer uh, in the second petition uh, of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, and the answer to the question what do we pray for in the second petition uh, it says this in the second petition which is thy kingdom come acknowledging ourselves and all mankind to be by nature under the dominion of sin and satan we pray that the kingdom of sin and satan may be destroyed the gospel propagated throughout the world the jews called the fullness of the gentiles brought in the church furnished with us all gospel officers and ordinances purged from corruptions, countenanced and maintained by the civil magistrate. Well, then there's a, an issue that uh, is raised pertaining to the civil magistrate. And the ordinance of Christ purely dispensed. And I'll, I'll leave it off there because it goes on for another uh, several sentences. <laughs> but I want us to specifically see that when we're praying, thy kingdom come, we're praying that the kingdom of sin and Satan is destroyed. We're praying that the gospel was propagated we're praying that the Jews would be called. We're praying that the fullness of the Gentiles be brought in and the church beautified, hmm. uh, in a nutshell, the beauty of Christ. Um, and, and there again is something that I believe that we have forgotten and it would do well for all churches to return to that kind of praying uh, and that kind of intentional desire that we would have this desire for the the kingdom of sin and Satan to be destroyed. When when did we last pray that 
kind of imprecatory prayers. Um, it, it seems to me that um, a lot of our prayers, I, I'm, I was just recently at the Twin Lakes Conference in Jackson, Mississippi, and there was a whole session, and it was, it was golden, on, on the, the preacher uh, in public prayer. And uh, I, I, I could, again, go over all the points if I had my notes right in front of me. <laughs> but I, I think public prayer in church is so lacking the, the, the richness and the depth that should be there. And, and this is a good lesson, even from Catechism Question 191. Um, you've been around the block a bit, Greg, as well, and uh, in, in, in different churches. Um, what would you like to comment on the state of the prayers by those who lead worship? Yeah, well, for one, um, obviously, I think we've, we've lost out on um, a lot of richness in, in prepared prayers and prayers that have uh, come from a more liturgical standpoint and prayers that are a little bit more corporate. I think really it stems from a, a very individualistic sort of mentality that we've adopted in, uh, in our churches over the years, uh, especially lately uh, in the past, you know, hundred years or so have become very individualistic and so our prayers are very self-centered um, our prayers are things that are for just things that are right around us uh, but we don't always reach out to you know what what do we need to be praying for in the world and we don't necessarily think about these kinds of things that are listed out in the larger catechism um, and, and the petitions and you know we take thy kingdom come how do we apply that to ourselves but we forget that thy kingdom come means that his kingdom is coming into the world and there's the gospel is going forth to all the nations and uh, all sorts of things that we could talk about there but um, I would I would just say that that's a really important piece that we need to recover is a, a real true understanding of what corporate prayer is in the church and I think that, that would help with this sort of concept as well yeah well, Moving from the larger catechism to the other um, document that I want to um, raise uh, awareness of, and that's the Westminster Directory for Public Worship. Now, I have three full pages uh, printed out uh, from the Westminster Directory on public prayer. And we're going to read the whole thing to we, you. Oh, yeah, mm -hmm. <laughs> and, the, and the podcast will lose its hearers immediately <laughs> when I start into that. But there's there's three pages uh, pertaining to public prayer before the sermon. And it, it, it ties in with what we're saying, that, that our prayers need substance. Hmm. Um, we have a privilege of coming before the throne room of heaven. And indeed, those who are leading worship have the privilege of bringing the people of God before the throne of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. We have a mighty privilege. Well, let's utilize that um, uh, accordingly. Uh, so without reading the three pages, I want to dip in specifically, again, where it mentions uh, Jewish evangelism. It's very similar to the, the larger catechism, but it says that a part of our prayer before the sermon, and remember, this was the document that was to be the guide for all Presbyterian churches hmm. uh, every Lord's Day. And indeed, I know churches that do pray for Jewish mission every Lord's Day. And, and, and that would be wonderful. Imagine if we had uh, that forgotten discipline restored within the churches. So mm -hmm. I, as, as I see also the importance of restoring the worth of, uh, this, uh, of, of our catechism and uh, confession, I also see the, the, um, the importance of restoring the content 
uh, of these uh, documents. So here's the content in the directory. To pray for the propagation of the gospel and kingdom of Christ to all nations, for the conversion of the Jews, the fullness of the Gentiles, the fall of Antichrist, and the hastening of the second coming of our Lord. It, it goes on to even speak of peace within the church, purity, the power of godliness, the, to prevent prof profaneness, um, and uh, the preservation of God. And I, and I, I love it because, I, you know me, Greg, I love alliteration, but I'm reading here about <laughs> peace, purity, power, and profaneness, and the preservation of, of such things. And uh, yeah. So you Presbyterian. <laughs> it's the Presbyterian way from the 1600s, of course. Um, but, you know, tying all these things together, I, I think this is something that is deeply forgotten, that we are praying to the King of Kings regarding his kingdom. Should we have an optimism? Should we have a, as I said, like the psalmist, the imprecatory psalms, the praying for the downfall of wickedness and evil and even evil men? And should we have in our prayers the, this, the, the greater emphasis on evangelism, uh, Jewish evangelism, and thus the gathering in of the elect of God from Jew and Gentile under one shepherd and the beautified church of Jesus Christ. What, what impact if the content of these documents was restored to our, our churches? So as, as one who has often led worship in your church, or as you, again, I'm putting you on the spot, as you see, <laughs> Uh, other churches, and you interact, and I know you do through your podcasts even as well, your personal podcasts, as you interact with other uh, pastors and other theologians uh, around the U.S., uh, is this something that has been forgotten that we, in our very simple way, should just throw the little flag of reminder? I mean, I would say certainly we have, uh, we've lost that even to a certain extent for general missions yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean I, there are some churches that are better than others at this obviously but uh, it's always wonderful to go into a church and you see their their mission walls and boards and things like mm -hmm. that of course and that's very important uh, for us to remember one thing that's really struck me though as I've become uh, more involved with this ministry with Christian Witness to Israel is uh, this this resounding theme in, in Paul over and over that the gospel returns to the Jew first and how we have we've really become derelict in that duty because I've I've never seen anybody other than the few churches that you have uh, that you yourself have been into and have actually been able to uh, to speak with and hopefully awaken the conscience of go mm -hmm. see our course for more details uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> you, you know, other than those churches that have had that uh, opportunity to hear from you um, I see very very few people that have any sort of idea of what to do with how to pray for Jewish people they're very very good. Um, oftentimes about praying for unreached people groups here and there and everywhere. Uh, and that's something that's been a big focus, and especially among Baptists. Bapt one thing that I, I'm very proud of the Baptist tradition is that we are very missional. Uh, and we have that's been a, a thing that's at the forefront of our minds for our entire existence. Um, and 
And so, you know, you see that come to come to the fore, and you see the Baptists going to be the first people out to these mission fields all the time. Uh, and yet, we have forgotten, uh, maybe under the influence of certain different theological uh, ideologies, but regardless, whatever the case may be, we have certainly forgotten our duty to pray for uh, the propagation of the gospel among the Jewish people. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's something that I would hope to see changed. Uh, and again, that's the purpose of our ministry, mm-hmm. obviously. That's the purpose of the Awakening of the Conscience course. And I think that it's uh, something that there's there's been a bit of a shift um, in my opinion, what little that I see, especially mm. on the online world, um, there has been a lot of times lately where I see people starting to make those those pricks of the conscience. Uh, and what's more interesting about it is the reaction to those um, and very, very um, inflammatory reactions from both secular Jewish people mm. uh, and, and, you know, even other people who are um, Christians who just don't understand this duty that we have. <laughs> Well, it, it truly is a, a duty that we have to respond, and indeed, as, as I repeatedly bring before the congregations I go to, uh, that Robert Murray McShane uh, prayed uh, our first uh, ever prayer in our, in our meeting in, in November 1842, uh, and McShane's sermon is available on our website, and it's simply called Our Duty to Israel. Uh, that's something, again, that does need to be restored to the radar. It's something that has been forgotten so if, again, we can try to maybe wrap this up and draw us really to the third point, but the third point is going to be brief and lead us really into future episodes. But we've had the forgotten worth of the confessional uh, status and, and, and um, the directory, the catechisms, etc., mm-hmm. etc. The forgotten worth of those things, we need to get back to uh, seeing the worth, the forgotten content of those things, and we've tried to... To, to draw attention to that. And then it's not enough to have the content in our minds cerebrally. I think the point that you make regarding Baptist churches, I can I can go after our own and in terms of our Presbyterian churches, we, we are m- very much concerned about our confessions and catechisms, but it's the application of those. And what I want to see is a, is a restored application of these truths. So do we believe optimistically that, uh, that as we pray, thy kingdom come? Why did the Lord even give us that prayer uh, if, mm-hmm. if everything is going downhill until the end of the world? He has called us to pray thy kingdom come. Do we have an optimism regarding the kingdom? Do we have that expectant optimism pertaining to the Jewish people? Uh, if we see it in Romans 9 through 11, if we see it evidentially in our, in our catechism and the directory, do we have that prayer and that optimism? And then do we have that intentional engagement? And I repeatedly say that here we are in the U.S. with Jewish people around us. Even if we didn't even have this theological position, nonetheless, the very fact that we have Jewish people on our doorstep, we need to be reaching the very people on our doorstep. So I want to see restored the application of these doctrines. Sometimes us Presbyterians have the criti- you have the, the, the criticism that we're, we're simply cerebral. Um, <laughs> and we've got all the doctrines, but, but put it into practice. Get it street level. And that's why also in these podcasts we bring before you Mitch Tepper, who's my buddy up in Pittsburgh. And he brings the street level uh, aspect of the ministry in the conversations that he's had with Jewish people on the streets of Pittsburgh and elsewhere. So I want us to see these uh, these things restored and uh, less forgetfulness among the people of God. Although I think if we read our Bibles, I think the ancient people of God had a lot of forgetfulness 
and the New Covenant people of God have a lot of forgetfulness. Absolutely. But our little <laughs> podcast is an attempt to sound the alarm uh, that the Jewish people maybe have been forgotten, but in God's economy and God's redemptive drama, they are not forsaken. Amen. Well, Stephen, do you have any resources for us uh, as we as we consider everything? Is this confessionalism or any other topics that you can think of a resource for? Uh, well, I, I I have often said think nine one one. I don't think nine one one. Think one nine one. It is a good thing for us to to look afresh at these things. Perhaps uh, that it's been a while since you've looked over the larger catechism. Uh, get back into that. Um, again, the Puritan hope was um, one that really struck me in my student days. I was going to mention that. And I do think that's uh, that's kind of a foundational book by Ian Murray. Uh, it certainly has the optimism of the Puritans. And we shall look at some of these things uh, in future episodes and some of uh, the worthies, as I've said, and what they have said. Um, and maybe that also will prick our conscience. And uh, maybe that which has been forgotten will be no more. Sure. And then if you're looking for more information about confessionalism in general, uh, I certainly would recommend The Creedal Imperative by Carl Truman. Uh, an excellent book that kind of just helps us to understand the importance of confessionalism and sort of those some of those first points we were making today. Uh, and it does. It guides us and it gives us a, uh, a system uh, that helps us to, to work out why these things are so important. And uh, I just I really would recommend some of the listeners who may be in, in churches who have just never really had a robust confession to to explore that um, because it changes a lot of the way you see things. And so I think it will be helpful. And just a, maybe in conclusion, by way of parallel and maybe somewhat lighter uh, than, than the heftier documents, is that in, in, uh, in parallel to this podcast, we're running a blog as well. So I, I hope you listen in. I hope you read in. And our blog is, is simply entitled The Book and the Bench. Uh, and in that, just again, in these early pods to just explain that we're endeavoring to have book principles, which are Bible principles of mission, mm-hmm. uh, coupled with park bench uh, stories and conversations uh, from uh, our colleague Mitch Tepper. So the book and the bench is available on our website, cwina.org. And you'll find that and many, many more resources there. And I'm very thankful to you, Greg, for doing all the work on the web and keeping us up to, up to date and such things. More than happy and more to come. Well, thank you guys for joining us for Forgotten Not Forsaken. And we'll see you in the next episode. Until then, grace and peace. Bye for now.